do amazing work. I'd like to thank um, the literature department and the dean in the Office of Humanities for supporting our series. And there's plenty of readers, so I'm just going to uh, start off. I'll warn you, the way it's going to work is each reader is going to introduce the, the next reader when they're done with their set. And um, is Jose here? No. So Jose will read later. Uh, and um, we will have each, each reader announce the, the following reader. So um, we're going to start with uh, the great, the talented, the vested, Ethan Sparks. Hi, everybody. All right. Um, my name is Ethan Sparks. I'll be reading a couple poems here for you. Uh, one is a little bit longer towards the end. All right. Let's start this. Um, the first one's called Compassion Fatigues. How do you chew milk? How do you complain of curdled water, of free soup cupped, of gasoline marbled pre-cum like elastic wood? Watching him chew words required of me empathy and exhaustion, something akin to chipmunk frenetic stuffing left life drooling down his chin, staining his satin tie. His mouth was expulsive and cavernous, provoking nuanced definitions of depth and weight and gullet. With the gravity of mouth, he uttered spattered grunts meant to be apologies. Meanwhile, I was glued to the function of mandible and underlying ivory. His chewing let thought leak through opaque skin, setting his eyes deeper in their sockets, thinning his hair. I saw his skin rip, move round, moving parts past ear and follicle, which is to say everywhere. In mid-chew, at the height of choke, his lavender skin bruised, dark, and split loudly. It ripped and tore in agonized moans, but joyfully. He didn't notice until his mouth fell off, until it became too difficult to sip. It was transformed. I reached down to pick up its parted lips, cupping them gently in my hands, and they transformed too. I hold a cardinal, pulsing wetly, pulsing fiercely as I squeeze. I've empathized too much. A soft crunch issues from my hands, and sediment leaks down my wrist. The perfect cardinal-shaped hole begs to be filled, and I oblige packing it in with broken mud, stuffing the wound, drying sticky and cold. The negative space accepts my gift and folds around dirty nails in a roll of quarters. It had now to loosely reassure me that this was normal and had happened before. This next one is untitled. There is a red river of pain just down from the street where we were kept, waiting for the day when the king of quiet loosened his belt. In plastic art there, the rules bend for the road and melt through layers of bedrock, where Louis Armstrong, singing over the rainbow, sits in judgment, waiting for the crack of a whip loosened from his trousers. Expired words are qualifying rearview songs, while an eardrum is blown apart, blood and in the inner bones baking with the flies on empty milk cartons. August and summer buzzing fills our heads to filling with strawberries and tightening vines creeping and coiling. A perfect heat cloaks the handprint outlined in our spilled red. Pulled away, the stain is sticky and wet with hate, which provoked violence and licorice breath. Without suspenders, the jeans are oceans on our horizon line falling and crashing around us with salty foam receding and cashing us through a beach too grainy in the home videos. All the things that were vile and that we consumed beneath the table sit like a stone warming in soup. 
Before the monarchy of our house silhouettes the empty streets, dividing the me's and you's, I'll share your bed and stroke your missing hair and the flap of your scalp aching to stop the stream of love leaking out of you. All right, and this is um, <clears throat> this piece I've been working on for a while now. It's a very long piece, so hang with me here. Uh, this, it's called uh, Cleveland Karachi Bangers in Kick Jeans, and largely it's in response to um, a lot of the textile fires that happen in um, Pakistan, Indonesia, India, etc. Says the strutting slim on the corner of Scranton and Clark. Arms heavy, as in gun is gun heavy. Pants and pockets heavy, as in deep back bars being bling heavy, as in laborious, as in Karachi levied. Palms as sweaty as in tropical Cleveland, where choking blows through tropical leave land. Postmortem steel dust is heavy over a city where they make my jeans, where I wear their jeans, where they let everyone know how it is. Lose yourself, as in your grill in my face, as in my caste, as in post-colonial profit-tearing, and in red-backed, green-backed trading, as in fire-backed locks on the doors to little girls' sewing rooms, and the finality of three sisters in hijabs losing their calm, with the beats going on, if they didn't work within resolve and panic, so panicking they do, as the flames start up and consume their scarves, unmasking them and marring their beauty with coals and blisters." So I, who vote with my dollar and never shop at Walmart, say, normal strata is reachable and achable, as in joints creaking, as jeans fray and Levi likes, as in people like tiny hands to stitch tiny seams for drugs and pedal workaholic shame, like the worst in us, like the tiny gladiator chained to a sewing machine. Machined as in the facade of society, as in rate resist participation in the, as in accepting corduroy loopholes and contracts looming between world trade powers, as in jihad against labels, against using more and throwing more away and up and down and against the wall, as in shameful against this arena agenda. The American civil social worker says to the slack gene strutted, trying to feed, your wa feed and water your seed is exhausting. I get it as in baby mama drama, so you buy your jeans with flared cuffs and no room to kick kicks and strut around your block with food stamps that don't buy diapers buried deep in pockets where you can't get it. So you've got to rob that store with the bars on it because no one will hand you out any cigars, son. And you've got to look good for them cameras in your getaway jeans, as in rooms, room for a sawed-off, as in extra-large boxers with yellow ducks on white textiles. So here you are barely slummed in your slum behind bars and strutting a new tune because you set fire to that store and although you didn't know it, to a chain-filled basement in Karachi too. The rapper promoting hip-hop culture while looking down on kick jeans says, I can't dance in those. Al Jazeera doesn't say, New York Times doesn't say, The Economist doesn't say, the names of the 289 deaths in barred window fires and locked door fires, and caged life fires, and hijab fires. The weight of ash divided by the number of estimated workers take into account the ratio of children ages to t 5 to 10 than those that were of rapeable age, the number of shackles that were fitted for little ankles, and the floor supervisors. The Karachi fire chief, Estesham Salim, says, It is packed like a box with little room for ventilation. There were no emergency exits. Uncle Carl says, just as the loom and the yarn are not the product of the weaver to whom they are supplied by the employers, so likewise with the commodities which the weaver receives in exchange for his, or for his commodity, labor power. 
call wonders. What then is the cost of production of labor power? The production manager's statement said, at 2.30 p.m., the electricity went out in the factory, following which the generator located on the ground floor was turned on. When the electricity supply resumed at 6.30 p.m., two to three explosions were heard from the location where the generator was kept following, which the factory filled up with smoke. The production manager added that after the smoke had filled the factory, he came out, but people were trapped inside. Chief Minister Sinda Syed Kaim Alas Shah says, 300,000 rupees will be given to the families of the victims, while 50,000 rupees has been announced for the injured. Carl says, oh, that's the cost. The required development of the worker into the worker, as into coal, as into a diamond, pressurized and heated in proportion to each other, then faceted and then retrieved sometimes at the cost of limbs, as in Charles Taylor, as in charcoal bodies and Chernobyl ash, as in Karachi textile fires belonging to the capitalist class. Workers waiting for pay do not get enough to exist, and so the entire working class levels down and down and down and levels out. The worker trapped with hundreds of others in a fire says nothing. The homie who wears kicks says, shit, my boo likes him, so fuck him. Uncle Carl again. This is what takes place in the exchange between capitalist and wage worker, as in subsistence means, as in averages of those who outlive canaries and sewing machines, and those who can't gain capital because they're removed from the exchange. So frustrated poet says, while sitting on Cleveland steps contemplating new social capital and commodity sums, forced book, as in book open, as a shared understanding where one has the power to reject the author completely, reject as in dysfunctional, not computing, organized, agonized, mentions and memes, meme as in a mentioned oversight, and shifting allegiances as in shit, as in coping conformity, as being forced to cope with arrested arsenals where in 20 years our soldiers will be implanted with strapped or distended stomachs and bombs, bombs as in thoughts, as in reversed terrorists, but not really. Bombs as in anarchy bottled in guts, as in ways to counter to intelligence, an anti-feeling, anti-frozen ethical compass etched aching arsenals of aerosol, dropped droning along, able-bodied blood mice frolicking in heaps of midden flesh, fresh output of formality, finite and glory-filled, gory as flash fiction, and soldiers marching grotesques in green face, as in berets, briefly anachronistic and archaically killing arch nemeses, as in churches bombed by suicide soldiers and cock-blocked pastors, as in cameras catching pedophiles and posted, as in flames stacked, as in found out, as in snapfish and tweets, as in ambivalence to crap and farm-subsidized fertilizer, and of course, the laborer that tries to gain ground. The voice of my obese mother living in a state of vacuum says, Walmart is cheaper. It's the only place I can afford. They support my right to self-destruct. They put down the little guy so I don't have to, because that is my only form of self-worth, by creating a hierarchy where I am above somebody. They allow me to participate in my morality, that of object adoration and objectivist bootstomping, which is different from dictator bootstomping. Don't ask me how. Says an eyewitness who has factory Munchausen syndrome, our production manager pulled down the collapsible gate on the third floor, forcing us to continue working. And I, who looked blankly on the page, the screen, the collective proletariat, scream. Don't dirt on me. You can't sound the alarm. But they say to keep at it. 
It was reported that he thought it was a false alarm, even when the generator is melting in front of them, trying to recycle the carbon in the air and the loudness with mob panic. It's the new... But not really. I will pay you when I get paid. Says the ABC News and World Report, the textile factory was making clothes for Sean Combs, Walmart, and Sears, and... And there's one that's not like the other and silent and missing in complacent bottom lineness. Says the disappointed young man on Main Street, USA. Disney, you fuckers. Your parent company, silenced and complicit, reports of your ulterior motives not exaggerated enough. You've just robbed me of joy. Set fire to a factory to prove the point. Uncle Walt, meet Uncle Carl. Oh, you've met. Says Carl and Walt simultaneously. As soon as I consume the means of subsistence, you are irretrievably lost to me unless I use the time during which I am kept alive by you in order to purchase new means of subsistence, in order during consumption to create by my labor new values in place of the values which perish in being consumed. The fetishism of commodities and the secret, their women. Two-thirds of the working textile forces are women, three million out of four, she says that it feels like a steel knife in her windpipe, and I get cut trying to resuscitate her and breathe in her smoking break and voice broken. Next time I'll show restraint when buying her something generic. I'll wait for the warm, fuzzy feeling like she feels warm. Using the material she didn't buy as a fuzzy shield, as in getting chilly. Carl knows women in that commodities are mysterious things, simply because in it the social character of men's labor appears. This is the reason because products of labors become commodities, just as the reproductive reproduce and the children become value beyond what their parents would give them to give them up to capitalists. To be clear, I'm talking about America. Did you think I meant somewhere else? America in defense of itself in the voice of my father. I'm sure that I'm right and that if they had wanted to, they could have rebelled against their working conditions. If they had wanted to, they could have educated themselves. If they had wanted to, those women could have said no. If they had truly wanted to, they could have made better working conditions for themselves. If they had wanted to, they could have immigrated here, although I don't really want them. If they had wanted to, they could have organized and I would have kept my eye on them. If they had wanted to, they could have unionized and demanded not to burn. If they had wanted to, they could have created a political party that takes care of their collective concerns, then I really would keep my eye on them. If they had wanted to, they could have created a party that relies on their people and takes care of their people and shares equally with their people. Then I really don't want them, and I take Joe McCarthy out of his corner and dust him off and set him upon the people who share similar skin tones living here and interrogate them. Only now we have Guantanamo in a quiet little corner. Then I would order drone strikes upon the union leaders who follow the trail to our corporations and seek another urban war, despite the ones we wage here with gangbangers and drug dealers wearing baggy pants. Ultimately... I would set fire to those same women and tell them that their religion offends and their scarves offend and their procreative ability offends and they should be grateful for God because God takes care of them, not Allah. I will, good defense, a good defense is the offense of culture and the threat of big guns and big corporations upon me. If they really wanted to, they could play the game, but I've stacked the cards and control the chits, so keep making my shit, other countries, and I'll bleed myself dry as long as you don't call my bluff. And I'll keep controlling the conversation and the status quo, and my proletariat is better than yours. So I'll outsource that to you, and you can keep coming back to me for scraps and begging me for aid when I'm the one that built the box your skin is peeling back from and that your husbands cry in front of. So who's the infidel now? God bless myself. Uh, I'll go ahead and introduce uh, Brett Zader.
everybody. I'm Brett, and uh, thanks, Ethan. That was really beautiful. Um, so I'm going to keep it in the Midwest of sorts, and I'm going to start out in Kansas. A couple would travel next to me. Binoculars, notebooks, patch vests, nothing electric, traveling to hide it. She whispers to me, a paraphrase, we have cancer, soon. We just want to see the sights. Don't worry, son. The far-off grain elevators, the old Pacific Union towns blow past the window. Soon, evergreen, swift, uniglory, soon. China supply, sullen, slowly clicking west. These bits and pieces of Ohio disappear through Kansas fields. I'm gone too, just as well. Approximate funeral dirge. Outskirts of Chicago. This is the great filtering through. Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. Code transit and data center. Lymphatic chains point the way through the body. Up Chicago. Up Omaha. Up Denver. Up Oakland. Or down. Chicago the gatekeeper. Chicago the articulate. Chicago teeth. Chicago chipping through. Chicago, Denver, Oakland vectors. Warehouses of the world unite. In a place where no one lives, hierarchy and flow, gatekeepers of commerce, the center and the pivot water the dirt. Meat circuit, emphatic. Our bodies erode together, hunched in dim rooms as the wind sulks. Now billboards, a marching ode to flatland, Tom Raper RV, Tractor Supply, Ohio Exterminator Company, a frozen lake by a brown windbreak. Here, I'd build a museum for erosion. It wouldn't last. Now we're traveling to St. Paul. Animal spectacle. Suffer Beast USA. Only meat. Sheepish. Masculine. The children who hallucinate their carnival rides. Nostalgia for the cage, maybe. We're driven through the plane for oceans of energy, to vacation, to normal, to normalcy. Summer whitewashed in the 80s. Green leaves pixelate on home movie extracts. Transport grease slicks the fare. I lube with luxury. Burnt red faces in white celebration. The tubas moan, teeth chew teeth. Cameras broadcast our holy birthing cow. Through the fistula, through these plastic future ocean bags, stomach aches of milk pass through families without association. Magic hour soon, and the big race, and the cotton candy, and the blister peels. Middle Observatory. Three black holes on smooth white. No lines in the face. They poke and point with leather gloves, staring with those holes, exhausted. Pointing and shoving, they just bleat between the swells of sirens, between the others.
plastic sheets, black noise peak, then plastic Faces must burn a lot of food for them to get so damn nervous. Hours of heat sought and nothing else to eat because their holes must strain. Following those spotlights facing the house. Something must have gotten away It must be hard to protect the most. Even if they burn, I burn. I like to make some tea. I trust everything's fine. This commotion must be the fog. Wind and wheat in the nearest town on the plain, like war, is all over. Those lights are at least a few miles away. Ashtabula County, Ohio. My surrogate mother, her sad, sweet, pale blue, nervous sleeping in. My can of tomato soup, my Taco Bell, my Weather Channel, my FIFA Simpsons styrofoam cup face when sick. I rub along the comforter. A bug circles a light or a satellite. As the faces of subdivision homes shock intimacy and shock family life into me, I prefer the one with stone, then door, then garage door, then vinyl siding. Week by week, checkups get worse and worse. Four more hours of circling to reach home, or fall out onto the concrete. Columbus. Stand inside the city center mall. Demolition crash. It's 2009. Breathe in the dust of childhood. The empty bookstore. The empty sugar, the blank CDs. Lament the decline of capital. Lament its growth out of the ashes. Leave, but not on pilgrimage. Forget healing. Rip the scabs. Follow the water from here to New Orleans. Swim in every river, every tributary, every ditch. Spill out into the gulf. Tar, wet my gills. Safety for all bodies. But mine, I drain. March in a funeral dirge in New Orleans. Black, sleepwalk. Leave your arms out with all. Remember your mother. Sing. And this is the world without end. It's not impossible. A world without end. Every crisis repaired. Maps and signs remade every day kept alive. Accidents spawn more accidents. It's the only exit from the highway to sleep off your machines. It's the opposite of towns spread out on the plain, nested worries network. Here the drain fails. The flat ground swamps from below. It drowns you in the basement when you're pinned down by sirens. It recedes the next day without mention. Objects accumulate the region. I palm crafts at, the, at a roadside stand. I go to the thrift store the same way I go to the dog shelter. I don't celebrate my poverty. I just celebrate. Being in a water drop. What is my line? Not that straight Jefferson grid. More like a minor America of ditches and culver pipes and slugs. Back roads and median camps and hideouts and secret passages 
and between fields, abandoned toys lay out in weedy chain-link lawns. Everyone else has to work, so now I'm desolate. I desire the cult of work despite my better judgment. The morning metabolism cities scratch their neighborhoods for salt. A world has to be made from scratch, from things the world can't say. I don't know how it happens, but I talk about it. I want to de-map with you. Erase coordinates, surface glint, and the glamour of confusion. I want to spread rumors with you and perform fiction and remake the smallest detail. I want to look through the microscope through you at the Great Plain as you drift, but not too far. This text will someday be a home of annotated spaces for the wind to know. In atmospheric memory and passage, we tune our skin. Something is close. We hold the wolf by the ears. Thank you. Now it's my great, great pleasure to welcome to the stage one of my favorite people and one of my favorite poets in the world, Kendall Grady. Brett, I want to demap with you. <laughs> Someone is captive, you can tell them any story you want. If you are captive, I will tell you the story in which you love me, and it will be true. I cannot imagine wild python or the stillness after. I can imagine one still point, one red apple pierced by the string of a harp. I know what good mythology is. Venetian blinds sound super sexy, but they're really not. The trill of breaking light crumbles like bees, a cicada inside out on the carport. Bludgeon out the eyes and the sockets behind the eyes, a modern postcard, so afraid of a fifth column in case of war, the turgor of abdomens set into each other like pots. The Manifestation of LeBron James the sun thumps your back, baby, new, pink, invulcular, bending over a broken turtle, your ass a soft thumb beside the highway, your weight, the uvula on the hellmouth, hot as fuck. You look like a topiary schoolboy dared to be tender. You look like the trapper, keeper of my dreams. You squint your nose like the mascot to my parliament of things, a platform for ambient intimacy, where a solo cup is never lonely and good things come to everything. One balmy ribbon of blood, that's the asphalt between us. Fold there, sweet antipode, doubled over, vomiting brings us momentarily closer to God. I close my eyes and wish hard, LeBron James, LeBron. Dear Henry, this is not a blossom, but an antechamber of foresight or many hundreds of pixels. The verdigris is the verdigris of a difficult aesthetic, like trying to keep an animal on your lap. The bell tolls for whomever holds it, like a rabbit's foot, is about the gruesome gesture of luck, palm to palm. I have a dream where back in your parents' shed that is your studio, amped up like moths under a bright light I wish was campfire. We won't admit we're tired, so we watch TV. I think this whole thing is about making out, but really it's about making out on screen. I feel disappointed, and then it ends. Every billboard is a love poem to a thing I can't have. 
I didn't click on the Twin Towers burning up the ad bar. Did Ryan McGinley invent the Tumblr girl, or did he just queer it? Star-spangled thighs waning with the light. I don't want to appear on the flag of your empire. I want to be the flag. This will end in tears. Love is a thing. Romance is a system. Proximity is a witchcraft. Sweetwater is a sweatshop where everyone falls in someone else's midnight oil. Horse temperature hissing into January, running around all the things we didn't do. Too sad to be an assassin, too lazy to be a musician, too clumsy for iconography. Wear my twat on the outside like a lap dog, shooting off secret photos with every step. At this range, you are not a boy, you are that obscure object of desire. I am not a girl, I am a spy, hole, a ring of fire, a clown's mouth swallowing. How to grow patient and more compassionate. So pretty in the face, in your chest, in arcade. Cancer is a crab that cannot duck sideways. You are healthy, joystick, making eyes, bringing the soda jerk to its knees. I'm not a boy, so I cannot be your boyfriend, but if you want me to, then I can be your Gucci main. A makeup counter is belief in my desire. The mall is bigger than the Mall of America archival twerk. Now I'm on the pill, the dizzying potential of negation. Pillow mint for every morning, like you shitting, still chewing. So at home in your body. You are on a pedestal, never coming down. And I am the pressure, sore from waiting. Easter weekend. I invite you over to play house. After all the box wine, you puke straight red. The tub looks like a corn syrup suicide, but you keep cutting the wind, your hand yapping like the dead head of a rattler between my legs until you finally pass out on the pull-out couch, a pale windsock, a dry moth over a used car lot. You can't tell a lemon from a pear. Such a young bag of bones. Your parents take turns making your cell go burr. The daisies push themselves up by their dicks. It's spring, and we could have been anything back from the dead. A nuclear family, pirate property, a fruit fly released from a truck of oranges, dazzled and afraid. No heroes, only workers. Strike at gold like teeth in a head and come up a monster, water over fire. We are our mother and father, the loosening of tabs that fix paper dolls like witches, the perineum that lengthens toward the tongue like yoga. We are pirates of the internet as a channel through which human intelligence renews its capacity to produce. We are, smooth, we are a smooth annelid, shitting where we eat, bucking like honey in the throat of a bee, sucking guapo until a rotten mouse pucker inward, an anus big enough for a fist. Dear Henry, it must feel good to ask and receive. Your parents were the kind that bought exactly what you circled in the Sears Christmas catalog, or not. I'm barely your elder, but a generation gap exists to straddle like the fault line of my first collegiate lesbian experience. What a dumb thing to write. Political correctness is another kind of phobia. Things never get easier, they only get harder. What is this tumescence of dust? My erogenous zone is what they call a digital immigrant. Its comfort zone is actually the 1990s. The 1990s sound like, how come you didn't bring more cheese pizza? 
You're invisible, but I can feel you. The G in Gchat stands for ghost. The internet is psychedelic. If you remember the internet, you aren't here. The cigarette stands for my inside and outside. I think it's fucking sexy. If I concentrate on smoking instead of eating, I will be sexy. There will be more oranges. You will go down with the frost on your breath. Put out the fire in my lungs. We get messed up and we go out, baby, for the night. I am a Nigerian prince and I would like for 1,000 US dollars to buy your bike. I am writing this with tears in my eye. I want to make a movie about your bored sigh, someone's bludgeoned inside out in a bowling alley. I feel so stupid, sad when I discover the scene already exists. In my mind, I replace every pin with your head. I'm sick and tired of you setting me up. In the petting zoo, the last of every kind of cursor lives out its days. I used to drive you to work in the morning. When nature goes against nature, it becomes something more than horrible. Scream into me like a horn. I want your lap even after you stand up. I didn't know what I'd find when I searched Jared from Subway's dark secret, but I knew there would be something. <laughs> Dear Henry, I know where sea cows congregate headfirst like the milk cows I was raised on, where to feed tarpon up to the elbow, pick too many mangoes, pick aloe vera to ease the rash. I know where to go out and where to come home. I am the rhythm in our stomping, grounds the source of your dexterity, the reason you got into Berkeley. I know the B-sides, fatty underbelly, baby, where to creepy at, the bars before they're emptied and cut, reassembled like wigs, the white house with a broken chicken, orange rose petals, orange water, honey. A full moon is a pill for what ails, water rolling under the car as in sleep. The stiller I stand, the sadder if I feel. If I can't fuck you, let me fuck you up. Domingo likes to use the new Mac in my office to watch music videos. It's the end of the aughts, and Beyonce's single lady's single is peaking. You should get a boyfriend, Domingo says. I'm annoyed that the transparency of his juxtapositions is what makes him a decent artist. The back door fits unevenly in its humid frame. A perimeter of white light glistens like baby's lips. Wacky ficus leaves collect at the threshold an alien encounter or the gates of heaven. Dark, hard centipedes stow inside to ash. Dumpster drunk flies spasm against the varnished concrete, buzzing like peroxide in a scrape. I'm still hungover, so I lay on the floor with my head under the desk. I will hear when my gallerist returns from lunch. I would know his voice anywhere. If I can't have a real fag, I want an art fag. An aerial view of you in waterproof lycra, and I am flying over. The land comes over your head like a sweater and into my lap. Riding shotgun, loving you so hard, I have to squint, a neck inching down, the fat of the world. We deserve nothing. Try to break into your own home. I'll rip the skin off a cow, crazy weed, how dogs smell cancer, how a child drowns in a pool with other children swimming over. Dear Henry, the summer of Von Bell hung terrariums and mass smoker. I was paid to stick my head inside and spritz the mosses. Now I live there. It's called Dadeland. Every day is an exercise in hydration. The clover leaf wavers in the windshield like smoke. Light hits my car so hard it bleaches the upholstery. The surprise of light pubes and my favorite black bouncer. I don't know Haitian Creole. I don't even know Spanish. Sometimes I forget you are Cuban until I look at your ass. Come back walking backwards to me like out of a 
cemetery, protecting your identity from every spirit but mine, because I want you that much. Dear Henry, the sun shines out of your asshole and into my mouth. I'm promising you an orange grove. The media promised me jetpacks, but I'm a trooper. Send me your prosthetic leg in a loose cannon, and I will inhale it like a bouquet. I will suffer an ignoble death blindfolded before a steak knife taped to a Roomba. This might take some time. Doing nothing is the new something. I spent a whole afternoon candying yams over an open flame. They tasted like citronella. I feel like a wet seed wild in the hot, blind earth. I feel like a boa constrictor that grows to the diameter of the drain pipe and then stops growing. From all the ganglia of desire, I abbreviate. This is my flower given for you. Dear Henry, try to imagine our skin in the future, the future city freezing and cracking like a screen. Vodka poached by water doesn't freeze. I'm onto you, but it's mostly funny. We haven't yet eaten all our reserves in the luxury of an emergency party. Put the water weight of the storm on our bodies. Imagine the future after the end of the economy. I dug your bad heart out of your chest in a fit of young shenanigans, but you put it back wet and cold. You can do something good when you're young. The same thing older is not as good. This is how I feel about my love. This is how I feel about my art. This is how I feel. This is the state of things. This is the state flower of Florida. <laughs> we mime our goodbye behind the gray troll of a gas pump. Two roads diverge, etc. The killer under my car is a patient trundle, keeping me at bay in your mouth. I tread water in deliberate W's like kissing toast. We have to try hard as cat lovers taming the internet for lack of dog parks. We have to perform a museum in which we're every cursor hovering halo. We have to behave like glue inside horses. We have to grow their kelp of black tongues to wreath us throat to asshole. We have to gut each other and sleep inside our corpses for warmth. Oh, what excuse will my poor devil have then to wait sniffing asphalt? I will spur a new race of holodeck desire, love summoned with love, instant gratification. I always knew I was an alien. Every time I get a boner, I can hear it phoning home. Thank you. And now it is my tremendous pleasure to welcome my colleague, my friend, my traveling companion, and probably all around one of the best souls I know, Gabriel Kalmos Katz, to the stage. Awesome. Hello. So I'm going to read one long piece. It is I'm betting on the appendix. And it starts from the, with a quote by Irving Gill who is one of San Diego's most famous architects. He designed a lot of houses in the area for rich people and no big buildings that you would know, so sorry. The quote is, any deviation from simplicity results in a loss of dignity. One, in the image of the city, Kevin Lynch talks about how perceptions of space influence how people will use that space. A city that boasts of its extraordinary parkland means nothing if those parks are thought of as hard to get to or are located in neighborhoods perceived as rich and cut off or run down and dangerous. Lynch uses scientifically bunk methodology 
and vague categorizations like path, district, node, and landmark to determine the way that people use or do not use those spaces. In contrast to more standard measurements of, how, of success for newly designed spaces, such as number of people who visit a space or the amount of money a new attraction brings in, Lynch's version of success is broad and hard to pin down. However, that amorphous quality is exactly Lynch's point. These things can't be determined primarily by numbers. The success of planned spaces must be determined by the people who interact with those spaces. Urban planning and architecture are fields where it's entirely possible for plans thought up in drafting rooms to seem divorced from the city blocks those plans will influence and impact. Lynch, Lynch's book isn't a prescriptive text on how to make a successful space. Instead, it focuses on the importance of mindfulness in planning. Many modern planners will begrudgingly admit that what Lynch says makes sense, and that's why his text, as hokey and new age as it is in points, survived in such a fickle and trend-driven field. What he demands, in not so many words, is that designers, planners, architects picture themselves walking through a space. Picture what would orient them and make them feel welcome. What would help someone who had never been to a post office, a public park, a hospital, make sense of the space? How can a space help? Two. In my bed, as I fail to quickly clot and let blood, muss, hair, and disposable pillowcases, sitcoms play loudly somewhere, and somehow the disembodied voice of David Spade feels like the perfect approximation of something not quite entirely machine, but so fucking terrible to deal with that it makes being human a bad thing. In the hospital bed next to my hospital bed, separated by a curtain only blocking the specific indignities of bodies malfunctioning beyond our control, there's a man coming down from met by nurses who also tell me it is Friday night that I have not broken any bones, that the man has been here time and time this year, and that every few minutes he tries to pull out his catheter, and that's the screaming I keep hearing, I am told. An ordered environment can do more than this. It may serve as a broad frame of reference, an organizer of activity or belief or knowledge. Kevin Lynch, The, the Image of the City, page 4. This hallway must be navigated. The bathroom is not in this wing. You have to push this button to open that door. Before you are seen, unless you are dying, you must provide information taken by hand and entered into a computer. While you're sitting, waiting, think of the children, of the children's ward, of the delta of IV liquid leaking into a hallway no one walks down because no one walks down that hallway most days. Think of the reason in our mind doctors buy such big cars. They need a space, quiet, smooth, controlled, instead of the man handcuffed to the gurney and the woman who looks at you like you were the one who denied her prescription drug coverage. Wouldn't we all like a space, quiet, with comfort that we can control? Grass isn't supposed to grow here in San Diego. We're a desert that stubborn people spritz with desalinized ocean water, so I guess the grass outside of the emergency room is supposed to stand out, a victory line, something to take note of. You're walking out on grass, and hey, you're walking out of here. Things could be worse. The fact that the medical center has a small landscaped plot out front serves, seems to be such an important identifying characteristic as its great bulk and skyline silhouette. Kevin Lynch, The Image of the City, page 32. Three. Several years ago, the Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle was looking to improve profit margins at their hospital. They brought in consultants from a variety of fields, but it was a self-described sensei from Toyota. The company has a proprietary business development strategy, the Toyota production system, who made the greatest impact. Addressing the hospital staff, he brought out a scale model of the hospital in a ball of blue yarn. Take the yarn and trace the steps a cancer patient would make on a regular visit. The model ended up a mess of string, hallways switched back and forth by unspurling yarn. Some doctors didn't know where a patient went after seeing them. The point was made, now there is no waiting because there are no waiting rooms at Virginia Mason. There is a reason rooms neighbor each other. You'll just have to head next door for that. When people stay, they stay in rooms that are more Hilton than home. 
Still, better to stay in a hotel than a hospital. I found all this out from a radio show concerned with effective design. So the problem can be fixed, at least from a design perspective. But is that worse? This isn't pi to the eighth millionth degree, the moment before the Big Bang or cancer. This is something we can fix right now. And what does it mean, then, that we have not? Section four. In the songs of John K. Sampson, hospitals are places where we not only lose control over our bodies, but lose control over how we are nursed back to health. John K. Sampson almost exclusively writes about his home city of Winnipeg, Canada, but really Sampson's hospitals aren't much different than our hospitals. Dark hallways, silent sliding doors opening when no one is there, to waiting rooms where the sick and the family of the sick stew in the pits of their stomach. Salvation through unexplained machinery. Don't worry, it's technology, which the sick find out later cost thousands of dollars per button pushed. We're so terrified of being sick, we can't consider what will happen when we get sick. So when we do get sick, we're treated like no one has planned this out. So then we become terrified of being sick. We sit in a waiting room and wonder why this place is so depressing. A doctor gets paged again. All the magazines feel sticky from sweaty, dirty hands. The only other thing in the room besides waiting bodies is a wild cherry Pepsi vending machine. There is a TV bolted to the ceiling dispensing Judge Joe Brown's non-binding legal advice. On a chair, there are pamphlets about venereal disease, binge drinking, and bird flu. These are chairs that have been pushing back against asses numbed like ours since the Carter administration. Dr. Hare gets paged again. We think to ourselves, to pass the time, what would make this better? Section 5. Okay, let's start again. Not a bus station, not an airport, not a terminal of any kind. Not Ikea, not a furniture factory, not a factory of any kind. Not a building built around the operation of machinery. Not a house being sold by the next of kin, not surfaces smeared with disrupted dust and cleaning fluid, not stacks of papers assumed insignificant in the basement, not a bag of recycling where a reading certificate is crumpled, not an agent arriving 20 minutes late who can't find the closet light switch, not a buffet, not warming trays and paleolithic eggs, not a basket of stale baked goods next to a toaster which makes them edible, not a building staffed by one person behind a register who cannot tell you what kind of meat is in the fried rice, not an office tower, not an all-glass facade which only lights the lobby, not stacked layouts of cubicles and bathrooms where pink soap permatrips into the basin, not the smell of rotten dirt from an unchanged vacuum bag, not a man older than you wearing all gray and carrying a bucket with sponges and bottles, not a 19th century ocean liner, not the coal room, where if you get too close, you will singe the hair off, not the chandelier not built to accommodate rocking waves, not being trapped for weeks on end, not a casino for obvious reasons, not a laboratory, not a place where double-blind study morphs bodies into kidneys, not a filing cabinet that opens so far it becomes gravity sight, sight gag. Not so many files that, well, I can't be expected to remember all these names. Not the studio set from Grey's Anatomy. Not a place where doctors get listed in the credits, where patients are extras sifted out of the ads in the back of LA Weekly. Not a religious sanctuary. Not a room with speakers which magnify a single voice. Not a room where everyone faces towards one body. Not a room where a throaty cough echoes out during a pause in the sermon. Excuse me. Section 6. People tend to think of path destinations and origin points. They like to know where paths came from and where they lead. Kevin Lynch, The Image of the City, page 54. And as our bus rounds the curb and skirts the receptacle side of the hospital, there is a man signaling, jumping, hailing our bus, which will not stop at any location not designated on the official route. 
We take these turns slowly so the man has a chance to change his expression from reasonable to surprise to a kind of anger he is probably quite used to. We drive on. The bus stops a block away from the man. The bus is still cold. We have not escaped the hospital's monolith shadow. Angry, the man can still see us. We hope he runs after us so we can let him on and explain the rules of the hospital shuttle system. We hope he runs out of steam, curses us again, and lets the bus vanish out of sight line because we are the ones who cause some amount of his anger. To whom it may concern, I am writing in regards to the extra bright flex book light produced by your company. The product is poorly designed and does not function as advertised. I purchased the light to help me read while I am bedridden recovering from a car accident. I am unable to reach over to my nightstand to turn on my lamp and purchased your book light on the recommendation of a friend. There are several flaws in the design of your product. First of all, the grip on the neck portion closely resembles a switch. I struggled to turn on your product only to find the on and off switch hidden next to the battery compartment on the lamp's bottom side. Because the switch is so small and inconveniently located, I had a great deal of difficulty turning on and off your lamp. Additionally, the battery compartment is paradoxically bolted on. At the rate at which your lamp eats through batteries, it is a hassle to have to ask someone to screw and unscrew the compartment so often I cannot perform the task myself because my motor skills are impaired because of my injuries. Your packaging claims the extra bite flex is easy to use and long Long-lasting. The device is neither of these things. I would guess you did not put your product on any human beings before you released it. Not only does your product not make its accompanying task easier, it actually makes it harder to accomplish than it would be without your product. I would like a complete refund for the product and request that my letter be sent to your design department so they can modify the design of future models of your product. Rather than thinking about the cheapest or easiest way to make this product, I wish you had thought about who was going to use it. A friend of mine used to write letters like that all the time. In return, store credit, corporate calendars, promotional paraphernalia arrived in his mailbox, an impersonal penance for an ignored wrongdoing. You get mailed a survey after a hospital stay. It asks you to rank on a one to five scale, your level of comfort, the speed of care, the attentiveness of the staff, the cleanliness of the hospital. The form provides five, six inches of additional space for feedback. They do not give you a stamped return envelope. They send you the form about a week after they send you the first bill. We pick up our last passenger and turn a corner. The man is still standing there in front of the dumpsters. We'd like to think someone will explain to him how this works at some point soon. Ladies and gentlemen, Jose Antonio Villaron. I'd first uh, like to apologize to Ethan and Brett for being late. Um, I cannot be on at all. Um, I, we're going to read uh, from the new writing project I'm working on which is hopefully also going to be my thesis. And it's still trying to figure itself out, but what I can say about it is that it's kind of like a docu-poetic account of the pervasiveness of extractive industries in modern society. And it's also loosely framed as a conversation to Mariela and Michaela who are here. So I'm very glad you came. Um, so yeah, that's about as much. Ready, guys? 
open pit, a study into extractive industries. The private sector. The people. The government. A question of displacement. A foreign company buys a large mining site. Copper, molly, and silver deposits run through the mountain. There's a town on the mountain. A bowl with no horns. In order to reach deposits, the people must go, as must the mountain. The company won't force anyone to leave. The craters will reach the town in eight years. High expectations. A project as big as this, paperwork they with the authorities. One of the most important projects in our history. Raise industry standards. The company doesn't respect. The size, scope. Some don't want to leave. To develop the country. We won't force anyone to leave. 36 years, 117,000 tons per day, 25% increase in copper exports. Now second world trade partner. A better future, nothing is certain. Main destination for investments. Everyone is watching. Always lacking basic services. Revenue, more, prog more programs to tackle poverty, less politics. We're tired, my children. Less conflicts. Launching date Move still forward. on schedule. Where? 9% of country's GDP. Will we go? 10 possible outcomes within a range of expected scenarios. Children with English sounding names. Fluorescent runoff lining the hills. A broken lighthouse with no flags. An almost abandoned fortress. One seat in the regional congress. An alpaca sweater for each season. The capacity to refuse, nationwide cell phone coverage, offices born to bureaucratic procedures, a bigger football stadium, not or, but cloth and plastic diapers, an endless conveyor belt, 15 more dead guinea pigs, rivers infested with pesticides, a school with actual desks and chairs, the loss of indigenous languages, walls without staring positions, paved roads with properly marked signs, multiple train rides and bus sections, new windfall profits taxes. I don't want your numbing bureaucratic procedures or one-stop offices. I don't want your 4G networks or next-day shipping delivery. I don't want, I don't want, want your confinement protests or needless, or needless conflict monitoring. Or I don't want your markets. bigger football stadiums. I don't want your windfall profits or previous consultation laws. I don't want laws. your hot water or your cold water or your warm water. I don't, I don't want, want your, your rampant lack of competences or, or antiquated worldviews. I don't want your bigger football stadiums or your most tiny villages. I don't want your history books. I don't, don't want your llamas or alpacas or open I don't want your childish bickering or complaints about windfall taxes. I don't want your mega movie theaters or endless highway systems. I don't want your sacred mountaintops or pristine water basins. I don't want your 40-year environmental impact assessments. I don't want your ziplocs or alpacas or overgrown guinea pigs. Industrias extractivas, Miguel. Industrias extractivas. La extracción de recursos naturales a cargo de unos cuantos individuos. El monopolio en la maximización de ganancias. Recuerda, esto es una guerra. Es injusto no tomar partido. To maintain the fortress, metabolic bodies in constant motion, amniotic fluid running through your nostrils, pulsations generating rhythm, 
body movement without structure, leaching ponds laid out in endless geometric patterns, fractured mountains, a network of swollen arteries, muscles stretching, the lack of phosphorus, a maze of embryonic tissue, the original infrastructure of future battlefields. Let's try that again. Instructions on how to maintain the fortress. Shake the necessary number of metabolic bodies, thrust in constant motion. Count every single object arriving on time through an endless conveyor belt. Be more specific. A network of swollen arteries, tailings pumping mercury into their reservoirs, an insatiable thirst for speed. Know this. This is to maintain, or at least to draw from, withdraw, profit, gain, instructions. This world, outside being, within capital. How? He likes to stare at walls. Let's try that again. To extend the vortex, metabolic bodies and tungsten potions, amniotic fluid running through his nostrils, rhythm-generating pulsations, body movements sit down further, teaching songs played out in endless geometrical tatters. The back is monstrous, a trace of tectonic fissures, juridical and stark crutches. How would this translate into Spanish? I want my 4G networks and next day shipping delivery. I want my streamlined management I processes and complete vertical accountability. I want my streamlined government procedures I want my sacred and one-stop offices. And pristine water I want my poverty eradication I want my private beach resorts and strong taxes. ancient family lineages. I want my llamas and vacunas I want my ears trips to Miami and New York and London. I want my bigger football stadiums. I want my safeguarded districts. I want my fair share of I want my surplus size supermarkets and police. I want my value. I want my beautiful traditional tapestries. I want my shade. I want my, I want my access to fair trade markets in the United and basic Nations public human services. Index. One. The story I want Solanas to write would start with a large bank of cumulus clouds overlooking an open pit mine wedged between a mountain range. The sun would be setting as a family of seven guides a small herd of goats towards the nearest water basin. No, that's not right. A large conference. A crowded auditorium, hundreds of people, cameras, microphones, a certain thickness to the air. Deloitte CEO is talking about the most important mining trends for the coming year. I can't stop thinking about the fact that you can now perceive light. He'll be born in six weeks. Two. It's cool to be a miner again. Taking us a long time to get there, to be in mining, to be in the news every day. I drove up to see your mother. Big issues. Lumber, copper, food, and Asia. Her friends and colleagues threw a baby shower for you. It was Monday morning. I was trying to get, I was trying to get back in time for class. The car broke down. The transmission went crazy. I had to turn around. It was President's Day. I couldn't find a single mechanic in Davis. Lumber producers not only selling to internal markets anymore. Finally, a Vietnamese family running a body shop outside of West Sacramento. It would take them at least two days to fix the car. Interesting global trend, the United States no longer setting prices. The oldest son, there were two, and a daughter was about seven. He found one of my stickers in the car. Yet, U.S. economy stronger than you see on CNN, Fox, and those places. I told him he could have it, that it glowed in the dark. I don't think he believed me. 
His sister kept trying to snatch the sticker, and his younger brother wouldn't stop staring at my t-shirt. I quickly scoured the car for more stickers, but couldn't find any. I found a ticket stub for Einstein on the beach. I smiled. A sense of rapture. Perhaps this. You. I could almost taste the music. But the end of your nostrils meets the mouth of your throat. I wanted to cry. The clouds got heavy. I remembered the sticker. Did I really want to cry? And China isn't going anywhere. They have problems, yes, severe infrastructure problems, demographic problems, but they also have demand, a middle class that will continue to demand things. They charged me $387 with 43 cents. If communists want to stay in power, they have to give the people economic hope, economic development. Second attempt. Wednesday at 2.13 p.m. The roadways were fairly empty. The car was sluggish. The eternal question, will mining companies make the right decisions today for the future, or are we going to perpetuate this boom and bust ideology? I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that you can now perceive light. It was sunny. Every ten miles or so, there would be groups of cows grazing peacefully, some close to the highway, further, others further away, resting under the shades of trees. I thought about those TV commercials, happy cows come from California. Now I can't stop thinking about McDonald's. They must own some of these pastures. Will you like cows? I liked horses when I was really young. Then, I was afraid of them. I can't remember why or when it happened either. The Chinese are incredibly disciplined buyers. They're buying on weakness on every single commodity. All of a sudden, I was afraid of horses. The world is drawing down on discoveries made in the past 40 years. I don't want you to be afraid. The average grade is dropping significantly into big copper mines. This world is made to instill fear. And copper is the engine of the world. As copper goes, the economy goes, or perhaps the other way around. Gas was almost 11 cents more expensive on the drive back. I didn't have any traffic. I arrived in San Diego before 11 p.m., but couldn't sleep. I started thinking about us, walking along the beach pier, the ocean beach pier with your mother. I'd be carrying you. It would be sunny, but not too hot. You would have sunscreen. Yes, sunscreen. Every mine in the world has problems, strikes, operational issues, governmental and environmental issues. Every year we undersupply the world. What is keeping us in balance? I want to show you the ocean. It'll be boring in six weeks. Thank you. in geography overlaps obviously with you know Jose's work and Gabe's work and even Kendall's work. I mean we're all doing something place I think. Um, but yeah I think it's just sort of 
spawning new projects, being together, and it's really exciting to collaborate. So. Yeah, I would say the, the same, that it's a mixed bag. And um, sometimes I try to map out in my head where I fit among my, my peers. And I think each one of us might say that we're a wagon wheel, and we're each the center, and we're surrounded by this bunch of like, people. But I, mean, I don't know. All I know is, like, I mean, Brett and I were both, like, pretty into, like, Deleuze and Watari and Bifo before we came. And, and then I share Ethan's complicated nostalgia of her place. And, um, you know, and I share, I think, Jose's foregrounding of language and I share Gabe's kind of wacky narrative dark humor <laughs> drive um, yeah and we all egg each other on by being together yeah I think I we'll just go down the line um, I've definitely <laughs> um, you know I, I had done several collaborative poetry projects before coming to UCSD I think both just in staying down together as a cohort and in classes, there's been a real, not necessarily a push toward collaboration, but a real openness and excitement about collaboration. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's certainly um, become part of the actual institution program. I would say a lot more than them, obviously. <laughs> um, being this first year at UCSD, and I say this for the program at large, uh, them, second year, third year, all the professors, it's having a tremendously positive impact on my writing. Um, and I feel completely nurtured, and I feel like I'm challenged to try new things constantly. I, they, I, I feel like we push each other, and it's, it's really nice because I don't feel like we need to compete against each other. We just kind of want to try and bring out the best in people. That's, that's a pretty cool place to be in. Yeah, to what they said, um, I also think it has a lot to do with um, sort of the MFA degree as a, as a, as a degree. Um, I think it's kind of cool to basically be given license to um, protest in a certain extent. Like, I think we're all kind of sort of interested with this on a certain level with some of our writing. And, um, you know, as an undergrad, you feel like you have to, like, you, go, you talk about protesting, but I feel like we're given the license to actually affect change. And so that's kind of a cool feeling, and I think we all kind of share that um, energy. <laughs> That's something that people in, in workshops are tired of dealing with. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I mean, I'm, I, I, I've now come to the realization that I, I just don't think it's fair to not choose sides. And, and so I, I do see this as a sort of documentary process, but, but I do need to place my own subjectivity within that process. And so I am trying to figure that out. And I think that's maybe why uh, it's also framed as a conversation to my family. I, I, even if it's not directly a conversation or loosely related, I do feel like I'm talking to my son and mom, and so um, I'm still trying to figure out the narrative voice. I don't, I don't know what to do with it, really.
Yeah, Brett, you start. You right. first. Uh, <laughs> so someone asked me today, actually in my class, uh, why I started to be a writer. And I said kind of a flip answer. I said, because it's probably the most unnecessary thing to have, you know, in this world of like the, the economy and things like that. Um, which I think is also makes it really necessary for us to be engaging with these really, you know, I mean, fiction is an incredibly powerful thing. So, um, you know, dealing with the psychology and the social aspects of everything, and then trying to write it and then put people into that space of possibility, I think it's incredibly important. So, if anybody wants to be a writer, I say go for it. And, you know, there's lots of spaces for collaboration, especially here at UCSD. And, yeah, it's really exciting. This is always kind of a weird topic for me because I don't know if I, I don't walk around thinking of myself as the embodiment of, of writing or right? I don't know like I don't I never use the phrase like a writing practice because that just makes it sound like drudgery and uh, I don't know and I think it's okay to write and then not write for a long time and then write again so I guess my advice is, advice is to do you know before something like an MFA do something more important like have your heart broken or like go travel or yeah. Or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so anything is more important than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is what we do. Just like, <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I specifically have anything to add to that. I mean, I feel like the, the idea of, nothing to add, nothing to add something. Um, yeah, I feel like the, the idea of doing something to make sure is what you want to keep doing is pretty good. If you can put yourself through a shitty job or a shitty relationship or a shitty master's or PhD program and still be writing stories or poetry or whatever, or if you can abandon yourself on an island without any pens and papers, so you have to write in the sand and get washed away every day. Um, like that, you know, I, I, and, and then you're still writing at the end. I think, I, think, I, think, I think that's a pretty good sign. Not to diminish people who don't write with that amount of intensity because obviously there are a lot of people and their writing is just as valuable. But I think it's awesome if you can give yourself some kind of test and still be doing it at the end of it. I don't want to say anything after that. <laughs> but I, I guess be as realistic yeah. as possible. You know, I mean, it's to be in a, a graduate level writing program is amazing, but the job opportunities you really want to talk about, <laughs> let's get real, it's, it's very competitive, it's very challenging, it's very difficult. So. I would say, you know, I second gate, like if you really want to write, just don't forget to write and and it'll, the rest will kind of happen. And if you can get yourself into a writing program that you like and it seems like it's a fit to you, amazing. Try and get funding. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know what else to add. Like, that hasn't been regurgitated to me. Um, yeah, try to get funding, try to try to um, try to get it paid for. I think I think what Kendall was saying was like have something to write about. Same time, don't be free to just constantly be putting yourself out there and constantly be shot down, rejected. That's like, you gotta have tough skin, I guess. But um, I think that uh, it's it's not worthwhile if you're not like constantly doing something with it, you know. So hope that helps. Um, every single piece. interested in hearing a, a little bit about this, you know, maybe 
is this drive towards treating place coming from a sort of you know a conversation, or is it, or is it a long-standing interest, or is it because you're you know dislocated out of wherever your original place is? I mean, probably all those things are true, but place. I guess I'm starting again. Um, or start over there. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's it's a response directly to the um, intangibility of everything digital right now. Um, for me, I just need. I love working with my hands. I love being out in the world, and it's you know, call it transcendental, whatever you want to call it. Like, I just need to sort of feel like I'm combating that on a daily level, um, and so a lot of that uh, is just it has to be so located. You know, even if it's a fictional place, it still has to be like located and tangible. And for me, it, it uh, place is personification. It's it's a, it's personified and reflective in the person who's visiting that place. So it, it plays and it, it changes your reality and it changes who you are on a daily basis. And I think uh, in the digital sort of reality we play in right now, it's, it's um, significantly successful. Well, um, I've, I'm, I'm fascinated with extractive industries. I'm not exactly sure why, but I am. And I miss my country a lot. And so I, I do feel like I, I am writing about extractive industries, but specifically about certain sites in Peru. Um, and so that immediately, you know, I just, I just feel like, I just don't feel like I could write about this without writing specifically about place or people, probably even more people than place, but I think with people and places being integrated. And so, so yeah, and, and but if I look, around the stuff I've done, I would say, yeah, place is a constant. You know, it's, it's something that is always, uh, I don't know, maybe it's because I've been, I've, I have a dual home status, and so whenever I'm somewhere, I think I should be somewhere else. And so place is a weird thing for me. It's, it's actually a source of tension, but at the same time, like, I do see the United States as my home, um, but it's not my only home. And so when I'm in the States, I think of Peru. When I'm in Peru, I think of the States. And it's, it's, it's a source of tension, I think it informs my identity, and I think it informs my writing. But now, specifically, it, this writing about attractive images, I could not fathom this being any other way. Um, I think I've always, I, I, I've written about place for a long time, and it's always, until somewhat recently, it's been from a pretty kind of very sincere, very nostalgic lens, I've moved a lot, um, especially since graduating college, but even in college, and just kind of lived all around, and always feel like I'm writing about the place where I just left. Um, and I think I started to find that problematic when I was making these really, I won't say, yeah, whatever, saccharine, saccharine portraits of places which were really complex and really um, messed up in a lot of ways. And so I've been really doing a lot more work on Kind of urban planning and structural racism and how uh, kind of these terrible things which make our cities so complicated and so wonderful but really terrible and hurtful to a lot of people how that gets to be and i'm still trying to combine that um this idea of planning being this terrible thing and also the thing that makes these cities which we love and these cities which we identify with and which we call homes um i guess tantus i've did say that i I think of the body as a primary mode of experience and sort of forming of the body as as a terrain and then that kind of loops me back to, to place. Um, and I think there are concrete 
examples that I like to, to justify that concept with. Um, something like my, the reason why I'm so interested in the anus is because if you were to just like double over a human body, you know, you'd have like a jellyfish where it has one orifice for the, the entrance and the exit and that would, that would be beautiful to me. And that exists in the globe um, for the, with the, an antipode is, you know, if you, if you were to, if you're in Chile and if you make a straight, a straight line through the opposite side of the globe, you end up somewhere in, you know, northeastern China. Um, so every point has its uh, has its point of linkage, and uh, I don't know, somehow in that in that space, that is that is what I mean by place, and that's where writing happens for me. <laughs> I have to follow that. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, my background is in geography and political geography specifically. So um, landscape becomes a text itself, and it's a site of you know it's always where you know power contests play out. So, and they're always being remade. You know, it's always, spaces are always being reproduced. So it's always this generative thing for me um, to try to intervene in that with language, with performance, with you name it, you know? So that's the simple answer. Um, okay, so I'm gonna hand you one of my anxieties about writing and see what you do with it. <laughs> um, so I feel like I have heard from most of you writing about or in response to, I don't know how you would even say this, like global events perhaps related to capitalism, not. Um, so my question is, you're writing in response to these events going down in the world, but what, or I shouldn't say but, and what do you see poetry doing For me, uh, specifically, the act of writing poetry was, and, and performing poetry, to some extent, is just a, an act of creating awareness and um, an act of combating and, and of the laziness that we sometimes can get into and complacentness we, we all kind of uh, level out at. And um, it's a way for me to, to both challenge my own morality and I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I really am. It's something I ask myself probably every day. Um, and, and you know, I guess one of the, I guess the answer would be that I'm still ready. But but yeah, I do. I, I think that to me it's very important. What's the role of of the arts? What what can the arts do in, in such a sensitized world? Like, what, what's the relevance? What's the impact? Um, what's at stake too? So so I, I I don't have an answer, but but I like the question. <laughs> um, I guess I, I really like Ethan's notion of provoking what kind of thought in, in the author, and I think that's really powerful. I think a lot of what poetry does is allow me to work through things, and I don't have this, I don't, I don't have a grand delusion that my poetry will go on to sell a hundred copies, let's not be unrealistic. <laughs> but like, you know, the, I, I, you know I, I think there's value for me in kind of a poem like this, even if nobody else reads it, because it will have brought me to a different place. Um, I guess, and maybe Brett can help me with this, but uh, I mean, I think semi-capitalism is is a real thing. It's a, it's a thing in the world that takes up space and it takes up time. And so 
So if I can, I don't know, fight fire with fire, or like <laughs> words with words, to me, I think that's valuable. Um, yeah, um, I'm gonna shy away from the semio capital. Okay. Um, but I think like, uh, I like to think of examples of poets that I think are doing really cool things. So like Ronaldo Wilson, when he was here, I think um, what his work does is it produces another body, or it, it, it creates a new audience. You know, it's not written for people who exist already. And I think that's those are the spaces that poetry can move into and really stir up some social practice or you know, who knows what the what the possibilities are. But I think that's the horizon, you know. That's what I get excited about. Maybe we should end on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs>